You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 95. Hello, listeners. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City story universe. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This week, I have a new interview episode for you. A few weeks ago, I sat down with award-winning fantasy and steampunk author Philippa Ballantyne to discuss her new novel and the themes she's exploring within it. We had a great conversation about the role of religion in fantasy and science fiction settings. So let's jump right into it. Here's my interview with Philippa Ballantyne. Hello, ladies and gents. This is Chris Lester for The Raven and the Writing Desk, and I am here in the virtual studio with Philippa Ballantyne. Pip is a New Zealand-born fantasy author and podcaster. She's the author of the Books of the Order and the Shifted World series. Together with her husband, T. Morris, she created the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences and the nonfiction book Social Media for Writers. She's won a number of literary awards, including the Sir Julius Vogel Award, the RT Reviewer's Choice Award, and the Parsec Award. Her new novel is called Immortal Progeny, and it will be released on March 24th, 2017. Pip, welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. Lovely to be here. Lovely to see you again. Likewise. Why don't you start out by telling us what this book is about and how it came to be? Okay. Uh, Immortal Progeny came after the Books of the Order, and the Books of the Order, if you remember people had kind of abandoned religion. So I wanted to write a book that explored religion and gods and fanaticism, basically. My least favorite thing in the world. So I decided to set this world in the middle of a great big religious war, except that the religious war is fought between various factions who create giant Frankenstein monsters sort of cobbled together kaiju and fight each other with them because, you know, why not? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And it it brings up interesting sort of thoughts about people using the natural world in in ways that it was not meant to use. And uh, in the world, they don't know exactly where gods come from, but gods do definitely exist. And they come through some kind of, it's it's a portal called the God Void, Where the gods actually originate from, though, is a mystery. The story starts off when three small children appear out of the god void and everyone's startled because they're expecting, you know, gods with like lightning bolts and that's how they generally appear. And none have appeared for a very long time. So these three sisters are separated and go on different journeys and have different experiences and in the book start to come into their powers and what that means for the fighting gods. Also, I have atheist magicians because (laughs) you can't have gods without somebody who disbelieves them. So, Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So, So even though they came out of the god void, did people not know that these little girls are actually gods or is there confusion about that or what there, there is confusion they don't appear to have any of the signs of being gods and because they kind of fear them but they also want to use them that's why they separate them they decide to try and keep an eye on them and up until the point where they're sort of in their early 20s there appears to be nothing special particularly about them so far <laughs> <laughs> So um, 
this book is dealing with religion in a second world fantasy setting, a world mm-hmm. that is not ours. You and I are part of a religious contingent that's often overlooked in American culture and politics. We're both practicing Christians, but we come from mainline Protestant denominations that have more liberal values uh, mm-hmm. in a social setting. So how has your faith influenced your writing? I was actually brought up in New Zealand in an Anglican girls' school. Anglican is sort of uh, equivalent of the uh, Episcopalians in in America. So, as I said earlier, the thing I really hate is fanaticism, the idea that my way is the right way and the rest of you are wrong and I must push it upon you. Um, I think that has led the world into a lot of terrible trouble and disaster and suffering. So the Fragile God series, it's going to be a series, is about the horrors of fanaticism and the middle path, the tolerant path is better for us. And uh, the sisters, the three of them, embody different aspects of the religion. And two of them are definitely fanatical. And the sister who has experienced a lot more pain a lot more of the dark side of humanity is actually the one that is led towards the more tolerant path, which some people might not think (laughs) would be the best path, but she will show them the way, hopefully. Can you unpack a bit more about what you mean by fanaticism in this context and why you think it's so dangerous and why you felt compelled to write about it? Mm -hmm. Well, the, the fanatics are the religious temples. They're constantly fighting amongst themselves to become the one true God. That is their entire reason for fighting each other. And they destroy each other's temples, but they also trample over, you know, villages, people who are just living their lives, just trying to get by, get the harvest and that sort of thing. And I think there's obviously lots of parallels in our world where, you know, just people who just want to live, they just want to raise their children you know, they just want to practice their religion, but they don't necessarily want to, everyone to take it on. Get uprooted and destroyed. I mean, you have just have to look at um, to Syria and what's happening there where people are just being, their towns are being decimated. And fanatics don't really care about how many innocent people they hurt. And religion is often used to batter people, basically, and, and destroy their lives. I don't, I don't think that religion always has to do that, but I feel like in the world right now, there's a lot of draw to that sort of fanaticism. And I understand that it's really easy. It's easy for people to say, I will follow that person who's saying that thing. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to question your own morals or your own personality or anything. You just follow that person. And it's, it's super easy. And I think the harder path is to examine ourselves and try and be more tolerant of others because diversity and the differences between people is what makes them interesting, I think. How has your religion or your approach to your religion changed over the course of your adult life? Uh, Well, the interesting thing was when I was going to school, I went to an Anglican school and I went to an Anglican church every week. But then, you know, sort of in your 20s, I kind of drifted away. It wasn't as important to me. I found when I moved to America, the dream that I had was having a community of like-minded people sharing just their lives and helping each other. And I thought about that when I was younger. I was like, wouldn't that be nice to find? And I had never found it. 
But in America, I really started looking for it. I said to T, my husband, I want to be in a church where difference is celebrated, where there is uh, diversity and kindness, where LGBTQ is not excluded. People of different cultures are not excluded. And he was like, hmm, (laughs) where can that be? Because we are surrounded by churches where we are. I went online and we found an Episcopal church, Trinity, in uh, Manassas, Virginia, and two wonderful people who I thought exemplify diversity. One is Vinny, who is a female Episcopal priest, and Stuart, who is, uh, they just have wonderful personalities and they don't agree a lot. Sometimes they disagree quite a lot, but (laughs) they enjoy each other's company because of those differences. And as soon as I was in there, I was like, this is reflecting what I think religion should be, which is walking the talk rather than just talking it. And um, yeah, we we had our child baptized there and, and when she was 10 and yeah, they're really good people. Excellent. So let's talk about those atheist magicians. Um, <laughs> what was, this is an interesting world building choice, especially given that you are a person of faith yourself. And so deliberately choosing to give special powers to the atheists in the setting is an, is an interesting choice. What was the reasoning behind that? Well, one, I certainly know a lot of very fine atheists. Alex White, who actually runs our Smoky Mountain writing retreat, is an atheist. He is a fine example of an atheist to me. He is not militant. Again, with the fanaticism, you know, atheists can be as fanatical as uh, theists. So for those of people in the world of the fragile gods who they believe there is magic in the world, but they believe it does not come from gods. It is a natural part of the world. And they sort of almost have like a meditation technique to get in touch with this magic that they believe is, is in the world. And they're unfortunately rather put upon because they're kind of caught in the middle of all of these giant monsters and mad churches. So they're actually kind of like the resistance. They turn up to villages that might be getting trampled upon or, you know, about to be destroyed by the local church and try and help them out. But they're definitely not the winning side at the moment, but they are there. But I I mean, you know, I think there's a place for questioning of things anywhere. And uh, actually, Alex White is actually now, thanks to social media, friends with our priest, uh, Vinny. And Alex was visiting once and we invited him. We said, would you like to come to church? He was like, oh, oh, no, I I might burst into flames. (laughs) (laughs) So we told that to Vinny and she said, well, he's not a very good atheist then, is he? So Alex has promised next time that he will come with us to uh, Trinity and we'll see if he catches fire, you know. <laughs> <laughs> have to document it for a Yeah, that's right. We'll, we'll, have our, we'll have our phones at the ready just in case, you know, <laughs> proof, final proof. So let's talk a bit about the use of religion in speculative fiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that I've noticed a lot in science fiction and fantasy is that even when there are religions in a setting, it's pretty rare for the protagonist herself to be religious in any serious way. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems like that's more true the more closely the religion in the story resembles a real-world counterpart religion. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, is there a missed opportunity here? Should writers consider making their protagonist a person of faith, and why or why not? 
I feel like, I mean, I've read The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> uh, I think there is definitely a a trend or especially recently to align religion with autocracy or theocracy, I suppose it would be, wouldn't it? You know, to have religion on the right, to always be, you know, authoritarian. And I, I certainly feel like the liberal Christians like um, you and I are not really represented in there. And I think, I feel like that is kind of a missed opportunity. But then again, when I arrived in America, honestly, I always assumed American Christianity to me was associated with televangelists and Bible thumping and giant churches with, you know, massive aquariums and limousines, you know, all that sort of stuff. That's what I imagined American Christianity to be. So it was nice to find something that was smaller and more intimate because personally I like to have a, a relationship with the people running the church rather than, you know, being 300, 500 seats back from the <laughs> from the end. So I think maybe people aren't seeing the diversity of Christianity that's in, in America. And I, I think there is probably a, a good opportunity to have a person of faith that's the protagonist that is using Jesus's teachings to choose her path or his path. <laughs> or Muhammad or Buddha or, yes, you whichever. Know, yeah, whichever. or the, the crystal dragon or whatever the religion <laughs> is in your, uh, your particular, you oh, know, yeah. ours, ours is a cauliflower. We, we worship a cauliflower. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you guys worshiped the pineapple. Ah, <laughs> uh, we, yeah. <laughs> Pineapple, man, no. That's the devil's fruit. <laughs> <laughs> what is a, a work of science fiction or fantasy? It could be in, in any medium that you think handled religion really well, and why did it work? Um, there's a, a really good, I mean, it's not really called science, you know how literary fiction and science fiction sometimes blend together, mm -hmm. but, but there was a really good book. It's written by a New Zealander whose name just splits my mind, but it's called The Vintner's Luck. And it's about an angel and a vintner, a guy that goes grapes. And it was a love story between the angel and the man, but it wasn't, it was like a spiritual love relationship rather than necessarily a physical one. To me, the feel of that book was kind of gentle, if it makes any sense, gentle and loving, which kind of spoke to me. I can't think of anything that's kind of touched me in the sort of the same way. They also made a terrible movie out of it. Don't watch the movies. <laughs> it's a terrible movie. <laughs> And to look at it from the opposite direction, what's a common mistake that you think that writers of speculative fiction make when it comes to religion? <laughs> common mistakes. Again, I would feel like it's they're not showing the totality of different kinds of religions. Like you said, I mean, I would love to see a, a Muslim protagonist. You know, I would think a Buddhist hero would be or heroine would be fantastic. I feel like that um, as people search for diversity, they should also be searching for diversity in religions. You mean in terms of the representation? Yes, the representation of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love me some atheists, but they don't have to be the protagonist all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> so for writers who work in second world fantasies, created worlds, what advice would you give to them about including religion in their settings? What are some of the things to think about as you're building your world? Having an actual physical God be in your, in your book 
you have to decide if there are any going to be any limitations to what they do. I mean, obviously, as a god, that makes them difficult to deal with. And in fragile gods, the gods, I mean, when you think of Jesus, he didn't arrive like in an armored tank or coming as a, you know, an, a giant elephant with scale armor. He was just a guy. And he was and, a baby. Um, you know. Yeah, a baby and grew up as a, as a young man. I mean, you can't think of anything more fragile and easily destroyed than that. So you don't necessarily have to have a God that is all sound and thunder and lightning bolts and, you know, miracles sprouting everywhere. I guess that comes back to the gentleness of things. But you also want to think about how the religion that is around the gods is is also very important. Are they a militant faction that wants to make everyone believe? What is their relationship to other religions? Are they accepting? Are they not accepting? Yeah, I think it's, it's a lot to do with the relationship between divinity and humanity and how that works. The little things as well, what are the ways that people show that they're religious? What are their day-to-day activities that might involve that religion? So there's there's a lot to, to unpack as far as religion and its place in sort of the society that you're going to build as well. Yeah, it's not something that you can just sort of layer in over top as an afterthought. Religion no. is such a, it provides such foundational components. Yeah, like life, to, I mean, birth and death. I mean, the two mm-hmm. bookends for humanity, how does religion fit into those? Those are important mile markers for people. Marriage, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> how's that? sorted out between the divine and the human. I think when you're doing any world building, you have to think about religion, what people believe in, what sort of faith they have or don't have. But if you're going to be writing a book which centers around religion, you've got to be even more precise about how things are. It's very interesting to actually have to sit and think about how just everything fits together, how one thing affects the other. Yeah, like what are the social functions Mm -hmm. of religion within society? A lot of times atheists tend to look at, especially militant atheists, tend to look at religion and say, you know, this thing is archaic. It's a bunch of people believing silly stories that were made up by shepherds in a distant country. But you have to think about what is the function of religion within a society. It's not all about autocracy and, you know, a small group of people controlling what other people do with their lives. It Mm -hmm. has a social function and you have to, you have to deal with that social function. And even if you decide that a particular society doesn't have a religion, you have to think about what else what other institution takes its place in performing those functions yeah i mean when you look at uh history i mean if you lived in a small village in england like in anglo-saxon times that the church was everything i mean they set the holiday the holiday the holy days where you would have off i mean the the festivals the marriages the births everything was was centered around the church you went to the church to be part of a community So, yeah, even if you decide not to, what's going to take its place? Because that's a big vacuum to fill. So stepping back from second world fantasies to look at stories that are told in some version of our world, Mm -hmm. um, which could be hidden fantasy like Harry Potter or urban fantasy, could be alternate histories or steampunk, could be science fiction taking place in the future. What advice would you give to to authors who are looking to write fantasies in our world in terms mm-hmm. of how they how they negotiate with religion? Well, if you're going to do any kind of religion, I think you've obviously got to do your research. If it's a religion that you're not familiar with, like when we wrote 
the ghost rebellion from a cultural point standpoint we found somebody who was familiar with india and someone who was familiar with russia i think that you should do the same thing if you're diving into somebody else's religion that you're not familiar with do all your research but find somebody who is within that religious community and get them to have a look over what you have written and made sure that it's accurate and, and representative because religion is is very important to people it's one of those things that you've got to try and get right and i think sometimes when you do consider like like when you just mentioned harry potter the fact that there's not really any religion mentioned in harry potter is now that i think about it a little odd because the yeah. anglican church in england is if you're living in a village again like the pub <laughs> it's one of the two social centers so I would just say always consider what that social religious binding is. Yeah, and just, just tread carefully like any cultural thing that you're writing about. Just make sure that you're aware of the tripping points and uh, the, the sensitivities of it and get a really good beta reader. Like what they call them sensitivity readers now. Hmm. I, I had somebody at a convention roll their eyes. They went, oh, publishers are getting sensitivity readers now. Oh, if you like that sort of thing. And to me, it's not about necessarily just about sensitivity. It's about getting things right. Yeah. And um, as a writer, you try, you're not going to please everybody, but it's always a good idea to try to get it as right as you possibly can. Right. And even if you are making value judgments about some particular religious system or religious practice, you owe it to yourself to have the facts right. Yeah. As you're presenting it, like even if you're going to come down on the side of this thing is negative or unhealthy, you damn well better know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you will be getting those people <laughs> contacting you afterwards to um, or you'll just turn readers off. They, they won't say anything to you. They just mm -hmm. won't read you anymore. And you're not going to do yourself or your side any favors either because you're just going to come off looking ignorant. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's not a good thing. No, we don't. <laughs> we don't want to look ignorant. <laughs> Where did you find your cultural consultants and how do you go about that process? Well, actually, we, well, we've been very lucky in the fact that we've been to a lot of conventions and stuff. So we've met a lot of people. Our steampunk India consultant was Sunadasi, who we met online, actually. We've never met her in real life, but she's become, she's become quite a good friend of ours. And uh, she runs the steampunk India page. So we were like, okay, she's good. But I have also heard people going online i think lauren harris was talking about reddit there was is there are some lists online where people who are looking for a consultant can go and find them but we've been lucky in the fact that all the people we've used have been friends that we've made just over the course of like six years ten years of writing so yeah i'd say poke around on the internet you're bound to find somebody <laughs> Say hi to people at conventions, make yes, friends. Be, fr <laughs> be friendly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think if you, I've been to a, quite a few diversity panels, especially Steampunk is very concerned about diversity and has been for many years, which I think puts it out ahead of some other genres. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the people that you see on panels interested in authors getting things right. Like we went to one where they literally said, just ask us, you know. <laughs> so if you go to those sort of panels and Maybe not give them the entire book, but at least give them the bits that deal with their sections. Do your research before you write the book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just Look, throwing that out there. Yes, yes, yes. Research as much as you can, but then give it to somebody before letting it out into the wild. Right. Luckily, I didn't have to worry about the Frankenstein monster people. There might be some out there. I don't know, but I might offend them. 
<laughs> the Church of the Kaiju. That's right. <laughs> no one wants to offend them. They just come and stomp on your house. Right. So what's next for you? What are you working on this year? <sighs> what are we working on? Well, uh, we have Operation Endgame, which was the last book of the ministry. Uh, why, wait, why the quotes? Why the scare quotes? You never, you never know, right? We have batted around an idea of a few spin-off characters. Maybe Sophia Del Morte might get her own standalone book. We are also doing a YA series, which is the Ministry 7, Verity Fitzroy and the Ministry 7. We're working on the sixth book of that. So the Ministry is not really going away anywhere anytime soon, but Eliza Wellington's story will be finished for now. <laughs> and then I'm working on a apocalyptic librarian story, which is being a librarian for 13 years, it's in my wheelhouse. And obviously the librarians are going to be the ones that save us from the apocalypse. I'm just putting that out there. Well, I mean, anybody who saw the Book of Eli knows that. <laughs> That's right. And then I've got to write the sequel to Immortal Progeny, uh, which will probably be Immortal something else. I had a title. But the Book of the Fragile Gods is at least three novels. So I'm keeping myself busy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any convention appearances this year? We're going to be at uh, RavenCon, which is in Williamsburg, Virginia. That's in April, I think. And we're going to make an appearance at Balticon, which will probably just be a drive-by on Saturday to wave at all the people. You're going to be there, right? I am. Um, we are having a Metamore City live performance. I don't know when it's going to be yet, but we'll have one. Okay. Well, count us in. We'd love to be amongst all the wonderful podcast people. And then we're going to Detroit. We're going to be in Detroit in July, I think, for the uh, Motor City Steam Con, which are full of fabulous people. I just, I don't know what it is about Detroit, but I've come to enjoy the people there a great deal. And the city is, you know, fighting back. It is. So it, it, is. is. it is. It has changed even in the last, it was like two years between visits for us. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, okay. I can recommend a good um, breakfast place in downtown Detroit. It's near the uh, near the Fox. I think it's near the Fox Theater. I have to I have to get the details on it and get back to you. But yeah. uh, we were there just back in February, Mel and I, and we met up with some friends who moved to Detroit to start a mushroom factory. Yeah, I think it's amazing how all these really organic, enthusiastic, creative people are moving into Detroit, and I think you know that's the way to go. Mm -hmm. um, Get some energy in there, some young energy. So where can people find your stuff? <laughs> well, pjballantine.com is the hub. And then if you are interested in steampunk, then we are over at ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com. And if you can spell that, you deserve <laughs> to be able to go. I know after so many years how to spell Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, but I know it can be a handful. <laughs> You guys just need to buy like mopo.com and link it, you know? People can spell that, yeah. But we're all over the place. We're uh, Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and, you know, it's everywhere. You can't avoid us. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on The Raven and the Writing Desk, Pip. It was great to have you back. Yeah, it was great to be on. Thanks for having me. And that was our interview. I hope you enjoyed it. Immortal Progeny is on sale now. You can find the link in the show notes to purchase your copy. William Wordsworth said, Fill your paper with the breathings of your heart. That's a beautiful image, though I'm guessing old Will was a lot better versed in writing than he was in anatomy. Anyway, here's your weekly writing report.
I wrote 5,100 words this week over the course of 7.5 hours for an average writing speed of 680 words per hour. As of Friday night, when I'm writing this script, I have gone 130 days without breaking my chain. This week I completed my audio drama, Rafa Kaliri and the Vampire's Bargain. It's with my beta readers now, and once I get their feedback, I'll finalize the script and get it out to my voice actors. If you want to see us perform it live, we'll be at Balticon 51 at the Renaissance Harbor Place Hotel in downtown Baltimore. The convention happens May 26th through 29th, Memorial Day weekend, and you can get your tickets at balticon.org. Over on the Patreon feed, we've got some new preview sketches for this month's bonus art. Ben Clifford is illustrating the scene from Things Unseen where Morgan and Misty meet the clockwork guardian, Omega. It's available to all patrons pledging at least $3 a month. If you want to help support this podcast and get cool bonus stuff like this, go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester and make a pledge today. And now, the feedback. Hey Chris, just listened to the PG Hollifield tribute, and uh, that was just genius. Amazing imagery. Thank you. Keep up the great work. Thanks, man. I'm going to try. Mark wrote in with his thoughts about Nemesis. He writes, Thanks for this story, Chris. It really meant a lot to me. First, I want to share my personal experience with Holyfield. It's not as major as yours. I never met the man face to face, but it sowed in me a deep respect for him. Back in my blogging days, I listened to Murder at Avedon Hill and wrote a review of it. Although I enjoyed the novel, my review was pretty cutting. I noticed some flaws in the work that I thought prevented it from reaching its full, obvious potential. A lot of other folks in the blogosphere cautioned me not to offend podcast royalty like Holyfield, for fear of being blackballed, but that's not what happened. Instead, he emailed me about my criticisms, and we had a lively conversation about it. The man was incredibly classy, a writer who took his craft seriously and didn't take stuff personally. Second, listening to this story has put a fire back under my ass. I've been getting myself back out there, trying to get my words into the eyes and ears of people other than my wife, preferably in return for money. I've already got a contract for some freelance work. I can't say where yet. It was as easy as sending a Facebook message, but I'd let anxiety stop me from doing it for more than a year. And it's thanks to this story. Death is stronger than life, but love is stronger than death. Amen, Mark. I'm glad my story was able to inspire you to get back on the riding horse. I hope to see more of your stories in print someday soon. Merrick writes, I found Metamore Keep a few months ago. Then I found Metamore City, and I instantly fell in love with the universe. Sadly, there is too much of it. Can't believe I'm complaining about there being too much content. I simply do not have time to listen to anything. I might end up buying some of the books, though. Still... I will try to catch up with almost 100 of these episodes. At least it means I will not run out of great reading and listening material for quite some time. Thanks, Merrick. At this point, nearly all of my stories are available in print. Between Urban Legends, Making the Cut, Things Unseen, and Divine Intervention, that's about 95% of the Chris Lester canon. Of course, I'm always working on new material, so keep an eye out for more books. I'm hoping to release two more in the next year or so. 
Welcome aboard. Ryan writes, Good morning, Chris. I have been listening to your wonderful work for a long while now. I finally caught up with the backlog about three months ago, and I must say thank you for your wonderful story about your nemesis. I had just recently found the Avedon Hill story and devoured it too quickly, with hope of more work by the excellent P.G. Holyfield. Much to the world's utter disappointment, I found out about his passing. I was devastated at learning this awful news, not as a fan of his work, which I am, but as a father myself, and knowing the heart-wrenching loss that Patrick must have been going through, not getting to see his girls grow. I cried the day I learned of what happened to him, and your words this morning wet my eyes once again. Your admiration and enthusiasm for your friend came through in the story, as did your compassion for his family. I have loved nearly every story you have written. Jury is still out on maternal instinct, but this has by far been my favorite story. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you, Ryan. I'm really glad to learn that people are still discovering PG's work, he created an amazing world, and it deserves to be remembered. And so does he. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your comments in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Twitter handle is Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on iTunes. It makes a big difference in helping people find the podcast. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fiction, fresh off the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2017 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvette Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.